My name is Jacob Stoops, and you're listening to the Page Two Podcast, my podcast about the reality of being an SEO in which I chronicle the real-life stories, experiences, challenges, and advice from some of the most amazing people in the industry. In this episode, I chat with Margie Stahl, my former colleague at Sapient Razorfish and someone who I've watched grow into a really amazing young SEO. We talk about how she parlayed her collegiate education at THE Ohio State University where she studied journalism with the hopes of becoming a crime reporter and parlayed that into PR, copywriting, and eventually becoming a full-time SEO strategist. We get into transitioning from a content background into SEO strategy while learning tech, even if it's not your primary strength, can be very, very important for your career, as well as the challenges of being a female in a male-dominated organization and much, much more. Hello, everybody. I am here with Margie Stahl, SEO supervisor at Publicis Sapient. Uh, And like a few of my other guests, Margie and I have worked together um, quite a bit. Uh, I was previously at, uh, it wasn't Publicis Sapient at the time when I left, it was Sapient Razorfish. Before that, it was Razorfish. Before that, it was Rosetta. So um, we worked together for quite a long time, worked together on um, several accounts. I feel like know each other. Um, pretty well. Um, nonetheless, uh, Margie, happy to have you on uh, the podcast. And uh, how are you doing? I am doing great. I'm happy to be here. I feel cool. like it's such an honor. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Just trying to um, to get get a podcast up and up and running. It's um, so it's, it's a lot of work and um, really grateful for anybody at this point that's willing to come on, especially uh, right now, early on when like I would say that the views are, are small right now. Someday maybe it'll grow. Um, it's kind of a labor of love for me, but the views are small. So I definitely appreciate um, people like yourself signing on at 9 p.m. Eastern for more work talk, <laughs> more shop Yeah, talk. this is fun work talk. I enjoy talking to you. And podcasts are the way of the future. I mean, they get, you know, yeah. a lot. there's a lot out there, but it's all good stuff. I mean, I love yeah. listening to podcasts. I've, so. I've enjoyed it so far. And the barrier to entry has been pretty pretty easy, right? It's um, have a good good microphone, make sure you've got the, the, the right uh, tooling and, and the right uh, outlets set up correctly. And so maybe someday I'll write a blog post on it because there, I mean, there are some complexities. I'm simplifying it, but um, the barrier to entry for anybody in this day and age is almost none. So mm-hmm. even uh, uh, folks like myself, uh, SEO nobodies can, <laughs> can start a podcast. Um, anyways, so want to get into our first segment, uh, the life uh, mob theme, many, many uh, mobsters uh, call being in the mob, the, the life. Um, I, I find that funny because I have a, a, a bit of a, I don't want to call it a fetish, but I love mob, mob movies. If you can <laughs> see, if you can see right behind me, um, I've got Goodfellas, Godfather, Casino, Godfather Part Two. That's my that's my wall art, right? Which so. one's your favorite? I've never seen any, so you really. Can yell at me. Oh, I know okay. you're not the first person to, wow. to do 
I, I mean, the, God, the Godfather, I would say, is the most, um, the most classic one. Probably not the most realistic one, but definitely the most classic one. So that one probably holds the, uh, the most special place in my, in my heart as it relates to mob movies. But, um, but anyways, let's talk about you. So uh, your background, take us back to the beginning. How did you get into SEO? Where did you start? Okay, um, well, do we want the, the long version or the short version? You got uh, time. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll give a, a middle ground. So I went to the Ohio State University, go Bucks. Um, I, when I was a kid, I was super into watching the news. <laughs> we didn't have cable. So yeah, I watched like shows. I watched things I probably shouldn't have been watching, but my parents were watching it and they just didn't really care. So I didn't really have Nickelodeon or anything like that. So I was super fascinated with like Katie Couric and Oprah and like Leslie Stahl. So I knew, all right, I'm going to be a journalism major. Like I'm good at writing. You know, I was always good at writing. So those two things fit. That just seemed like the ideal path. Um, and going off the crime theme, I actually really thought I would be like a crime reporter. I was really into the investigative journalism piece. Um, so I started Ohio State um, thinking I was going to be this hotshot investigative journalist. You know, I dabbled in a little bit of broadcast and those classes and things like that. Um, that did not pan out. <laughs> I, uh, now I did a criminology minor because of this. And those were honestly some of the best classes I took at Ohio state. Like as a side note, mm -hmm. like sociology of gangs opened my eyes to many, many things, um, that I still think about to this day. Um, so I was doing that, but as I said, I met Ohio state, which is a huge football school, huge basketball school. And, um, the lantern is Ohio state student newspaper. And, it was interesting because someone can you know, our teacher was basically like, all right, you guys can pick what you want to do. And I realized there wasn't really like much room for investigative reporting in the student newspaper. It was more of like, Oh, this new bar's opening. This is closing. Here are the events. Sports seemed to be the most interesting. So I was like, you know, I'm going to try this. I'm going to do the sports writing. Um, simply because I thought it would give me the most opportunity and it did. I was good at it. I got a scholarship. Um, so for a minute I thought, all right, I'm going to go on and continue with this. Meanwhile, uh, the recession happened. So this was like my junior year, um, 2008, 2009. Um, and people were coming in. I think Maggie Barr, when she talked to you, kind of told a similar story. Like people are coming in telling you all the negative things about journalism. Like nobody had anything positive to say. It's like, uh, you know, you're not gonna make any money. You're probably still gonna have to be a server. Don't expect to get a big break right away. You're gonna have to be like in a grueling situation. And I was just like, okay, maybe I need a plan B. Um, so on a whim, I decided to take the GRE and go, you know, apply for some grad schools. Um, not really sure what would come of it. I ended up getting offered an assistantship at Kent State um, to get my master's degree for free. And I was, you know, 21 and I'm thinking, well, if I don't do this now, I don't know if I'm ever going to get this degree. And I think it's really cool to have a master's degree. So I'm going to go to Kent. So <laughs> a lot of gut feelings are happening. You know, in your early 20s, you're just like flying on the seat of your pants. Um, so instead of doing the journalism route, I did PR. Um, I wanted to get some experience on the other side of the coin. Um, 
you know, I had done, worked with the sports uh, relations people and I thought their jobs were interesting. I just wanted to get well-rounded with it. Um, so while I was at Kent State, fast forward, um, one of my PR management classes, we had someone from Rosetta, so when it used to be Rosetta, the creative director uh, came in to speak to our class about just creative uh, agency life. And I thought it sounded interesting, so I connected with him on LinkedIn. Um, and then I, you know, ended up talking to him and he was like, you know, we are offering an internship for a copywriter. Um, I think you'd be a good fit. So I came in and interviewed and I interned at Rosetta in the summer of 2011. Um, toward the end of that, I was offered full time to come back after graduation. And at that point, it was like, this is a much safer and economical job decision for me than like trying to go you know, the journalism route at this point, and I would still be doing writing, um, you know, copywriting. So I had the whole year of grad school set. I'm like, I've got a job lined up. This is awesome. You know, I went to um, be a graduate assistant on a study abroad trip in London and just got all these cool opportunities because I didn't really feel like I had to worry about it. And I come to find out that oh, by the way, you won't be able to start until end of August in the creative department. And I was like, that was not shared with me. I signed a lease on an apartment. I am in London, <laughs> like spending money, yeah. like the thinking I'm going to be starting work as soon as I get back. Um, and what ended up happening was someone um, in the SEO team on the content team had put in their two weeks, like a day after we had this conversation with HR. And she was like, do you want to take that? You can start June 4th. And I was like, if it means I can start June 4th, yes. There you so, go. That is my long-winded roundabout way of how I got into SEO, it was SEO content writing. I really, I knew a little bit about SEO. Um, Dominic Litton, who we both worked with and is now over at Budget Dumpster, um, actually was another speaker in one of my classes and did a whole SEO um, spiel. So I learned a little bit from him and connected there. Um, and I thought it was interesting. So it wasn't like I was going into it totally blind. But I mean, going from a 10 year old thinking you're going to be like, you know, investigating all these major crimes and cracking down on things to SEO content writing. Um, yeah, I mean, moral of the story is your path can lead you anywhere. Um, so don't be afraid to follow your gut and logic and mix that together. So, so tell me, so from your start to where you are now, Rosetta, to now, same company, but merged and merged and merged into Publicis Sapient. How has your role in what you're doing evolved since the beginning? Uh, I mean, exponentially it's evolved. So I started as a associate SEO content writer. So um, my client was a major hospitality client. Um, I had two different projects that I was doing with them and it was simply op writing and optimizing press releases, which in 2012, you know, used to still be a pretty big tactic um, from a, an offsite perspective to drive links. Not to say that you still can't use PR to your link advantage. It's just, you know, writing a press release about a new meeting space opening probably isn't the best approach um, anymore. But that was one of the tactics we were doing and then optimizing on-page content for that same hospitality client. Um, so title tags, meta descriptions, on-page copy. So it was really just like churn and burn, like getting through 
um, all of this content. So I was doing that for around six months and finally like, you know, I was to the point where I wasn't having a lot of revisions on my work and it was just kind of the same thing. And I said, you know, I want to do more than just content. Like I'd like to be strategizing around this. Um, so got the opportunity to start being more of a hybrid strategy content person. Um, strategy at that time just being, you know, influencing the keyword strategy and sort of the placement and, you know, how we were going to promote some of these pieces. So evolved into that, um, you know, continued, I really did continue to stay on the more of the content strategy side. I, I think with my journalism background and having a master's degree, I do have a little bit more of a well-rounded understanding of, you know, a site and how it fits in your holistic marketing plan. So I try to look at things from a big picture. Um, also during this time I was learning more technical cause that was something I never had exposure to, um, for at least my first couple years. Um, so getting more involved in that. And then, um, so basically I started from an associate now I'm a supervisor. I'm leading, um, a team of four, um, on one of my clients and then a couple other team members just as a career manager. Um, so, you know, I've been at the same place. It's kind of crazy, like in agency terms to be at the same mm -hmm. place and technically almost eight years if you count my internship. Um, but I've learned a lot. Like it's a big agency. Um, as you know, like Rosetta was big when it was Rosetta, but now that it's publicist sapient, like I'm dealing with people in different, you know, time zones. I'm dealing with people in different countries. Um, and it's all good. It's all good learning experience. You kind of have to learn on the fly. So, you know, I've really learned a lot and grown and I think um, having good clients has helped and working with good people has helped. So Maggie came in from a journalism background and, um, and you come in from a journalism and investigative crime reporter <laughs> background. <laughs> Not necessarily the crime reporting side, but how do you feel like journalism and investigative, uh, that investigative background has helped you and I only ask this because I feel like I see SEOs now granted I've got almost two in a row with you and Maggie that come from a very similar background but I feel like SEOs come from so many mm -hmm. different walks of life and that's what this podcast is about and what I find most fascinating how do you feel like that experience has helped you um because I I really take the time to do my homework um, and I don't look at it as just a, you know, a siloed approach. Um, I try to look at things just from, okay, you know, let's just give this basic example of you're optimizing one page and that's all fine and good to find some keywords and diddle daddle and write a few sentences on there. But that one page is part of a larger ecosystem. You really need to know what's going on um, in that larger ecosystem. So one of the things that I do and I always tell new team members to do whenever you get on a new client or a new project, don't even go into the SEO stuff first. Learn about the client, figure out their brand, you know, Google them, look at their Wikipedia, understand what do they do? What do they offer? If they're an enterprise client, how many brands do they have that fall under them? What are the differentiators? I mean, you can look at any website and if you're in this business long enough and figure out the gist and the look of feel, look and feel of a site and what they're trying to convey to their audience. 
Um, look at their social profiles, see how bold they are with their content on social. That gives a pretty good idea of how bold they're willing to be in other avenues. Um, so really just taking a minute to just understand what you're up against, because I think sometimes where people get themselves in trouble is they'll jump on projects and then they have no idea what the client business is and they're just trying to apply a strategy. And while at its core, you know, SEO is what it is, there's ranking factors and those aren't going to change. Well, I shouldn't say those aren't going to change, but like for client A and client B, they're going to be very similar. Um, but you don't know the business and you, you know, it, you get questions and pushback of things that could probably be avoided had you just done your homework on who they are themselves. So I think having that like knowledge and doing that, um, you know, from a very, very early on in my collegiate career um, has helped me with that. It's just an innate instinct to me. It's not something I have to think about. So let, so let me talk about the, the content stuff for a second, not content strategy, but the content writing. So one of the things I remember running up against, and I've talked with uh, a few people about this, is the idea that um, writers and strategists have or had separate career paths. And um, I know that that, for some people, ended up being very challenging to to get kind of on the strategist career path because there, there was, and, and I'm betting it wasn't, it wasn't just with our agency, but other agencies as well, that a writer could never turn into, and granted some people just love writing, but that a writer could never turn into anything, anything more, or at least they're, they're, they were limited from a career path standpoint. And almost, I felt like there were many people that if they didn't just straight up leave, they almost had to start, over um, within the within kind of the company and from a from a career perspective moving into um, a new role so like how did that go for you and how did it like how did you feel during that time so two main points about that Uh, the first being writing is interesting because being a writer is a skill you develop over time it's kind of like if you're a coder like not I couldn't go in and just code a page like in some crazy language like there's no way it would take a lot of learning and I'm not going to try to make that my skill set I'll know what I need to do to do my job for SEO and where things need to fit with writing it's very similar you know you you can't teach someone to be a good writer at this stage in the game. Like you can teach them the basics to like get something done, but to write a a long form article, that is a very specific skill. However, it's a lot easier to teach someone in my, my personal opinion, and maybe I'm biased because I was taught, but it's a lot easier to teach someone who has a solid writing skill, how to strategize and do other things than it is to teach someone who comes in as a strategist or a tech person how to write. Oh yeah. Um, That's you got to sure. start writing at an early age. I mean, I was doing power of the pen in eighth grade, like, you know, going to state writing competitions, like journalism, getting scholarships, like that was something that I developed um, from very early on. But learning strategy, I'm not saying it was easy because there's so many nuances to it and especially the tech piece not easy, but it's a little bit, you know, there's ways to be taught how to do it um, to be able to get your job done. So that's how I felt with that. Um, As far as the career path piece, I've gotten very lucky, I will say. I don't, you know, 
half of this job for me has been part luck of, hey, here's who you're going to work with. Um, and just part, like, I, I know that, you know, people aren't going to hand you anything. You're not going to just be given opportunities. You have to ask for them. And that's like it here at Pumas Sapient. That's anywhere you're going to go. Um, so I've had really great clients that are willing to sort of, you know, we know from agency, like implementation overall can be challenging, but the thinking at least has been there and like the hope of trying to implement things has been there. So being able to at least try new things in that aspect has always been around and then just having really good teammates. Um, you know, if you ask something, the worst someone can say is no, that's not an opportunity right now. We just keep asking. Um, and I just kept asking and, you know, kept trying new things and getting my foot in the door where um, it seemed like a logical fit. You are an optimistic person. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely something I can, I can say about you because I, I remember being there and I remember other people not necessarily feeling the, the same way. And I think you've done a great job of, of exactly what you said, but also kind of persevering. Um, persevering through tough, tough times in some cases and tough, tough circumstances um, in other cases. And I mean, now look at where you look at where you've come. It's, it's quite amazing. Um, and, and the funny thing that you, that you mentioned is the way that you've thought about it in terms of being easier to teach a writer to be a strategist than a strategist to be a writer Honestly, the thinking internally was the exact opposite. And I tend to agree with you. I think if you're a writer, it's a very natural talent. It's probably akin to like somebody being good at hitting a baseball or hitting a golf ball, right? You either got it or you don't. Um, yeah. And you can practice, but in the end, you either have it or you don't. Not something that's that easy to teach. But the thinking internally was that, hey, this writer, these writers, they, have, they can never be strategists. They can't be abstract thinkers. They're just workhorse writers. And yeah. Well, you know, I think too, back then, the way we were operating, there were a lot of siloed people. I mean, we had that whole mm -hmm. department that was doing link outreach and that's what we were doing for 40 hours a week. And it was like, oh my gosh, am I ever going to not do this? Which like, is insane. It was a machine. We would never, we would never <laughs> sell that in now. I mean, that's just not, oh my like, Lord. that's just not a way of doing things. The, the industry's evolved so much. So I think with that, we had so many people and it was also easy to say, okay, you're going to be my strategist and you're going to be my link people and you're going to be my content people when you're starting out. And another point of that is we had a really um, strong college pipeline at the time. Mm -hmm. You know, we were hiring people right out of school and I mean, gosh, we would probably hire like 20, 30 people, students um, every summer that would come in full time or interns and I almost felt like, I mean, similar to my situation, you were just put where the opportunity was. I mean, I don't, not too many people that have come in as a college hire have said like, oh, I'm going to do paid search or I'm going to do SEO to just kind of like, here's where the hours are and you're there. And then that's mm -hmm. where you go with it. Um, so that's part of, it was a blessing and a curse, um, a blessing because we always had really smart students that we were getting in. I mean, some of those people have gone on to be great friends of mine um, that have come in. You know, there's a lot of us that started in from the college track. Yeah, a lot and of superstars. I, 
and I think that content writing piece, if you were a writer, you were lumped into that. And then, like you said, there was just a hierarchy of the way things were done. Um, now, because our SEO team, there are 35, 30 to 40 of us uh, in flux because there's some, some folks we're adding on to the team. Um, so I don't know the exact number, but there's a lot more to go around. Um, so that's kind of one of the positives that's happened of all these mergers and, and things like that is, you know, there's a little bit more to get exposure with. Mm -hmm. Um, and we don't really have to silo one person. Like I don't have to hire someone as an associate and say like, okay, all you're going to be doing is metadata optimization. All you're going to be doing is link building. Like, it's more, oh, you want to learn a tech audit and you've been here two months. Guess what? You're going to do a tech audit, you know, um, which, by the way, we're still using your wonderful um, template. <laughs> that is That's funny, man. That thing lives on. It never. Lives on. It's, it's evolved. I mean, I've made some updates sure. to it just based on recent, um, you know, algorithm changes and things like that. But the core of it's still there. Um, That's funny, man. That thing has been alive for years and years and years. So for those of you that don't know, um, so when I first started, and this is seven or eight years ago, um, there was a, a tech audit template that had floated around the, the company. And then um, we all used it. And, um, and honestly, I shouldn't say we all, it got exposure to the technical SEOs, but not necessarily everybody, everybody else. So everybody didn't know how to, how to use it. And eventually some of those folks left and uh, the folks that were left behind decided, Hey, we're going to take that and I will, we like it, but we're going to adapt it. And then we're going to teach people how to use it. Uh, that's the most important. So that particular thing has um, been, been carried with, with me to other, other places in terms of that, that uh, methodology and so on and so on and so forth and other people are still still kind of using that methodology and adapting it for themselves but man it was um it is it is right 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 but it's like it's not it should be a patent where it's written that it's not specific to the agency where it was created it's like the people who have used it you right may not <laughs> right it's and it has changed it's i've changed it on on my side many times to kind of fit Fit my own needs but man it it lives on it's it's pretty awesome and it's still pretty representative of all the kind of core stuff um, that needs to be taken into consideration and um, the and that's something I was going to ask you as a as a person who started on the content side how how easy for you was it to go over because I feel like to be a well-rounded SEO here let me back up what I feel like for SEOs is that you should be able to hold your water because there are so many different things that you need to talk about. You have to be able to, at minimum, hold your water with all of them, whether it's content, tech, um, offsite, international, right? There's, a, there's any number of the things that, that you have to be able to speak to. But I always tell everybody, like, find something that you're passionate about within, within SEO. Yeah any job really, and really get good at that. So you can differentiate, um, differentiate yourself. And you've, I think, differentiated yourself on the content strategy side. I tend to get bucketed as a technical SEO, although I actually love content and content strategy. So I'm kind of breaking, breaking out of that myself. Uh, how hard was it to go from having no exposure to tech to learning it and now being able to drive strategy if you need to 
from a technical standpoint? Well, I think you running the trainings that you did was super helpful. Um, you know, I know there were a lot of them for all of us, but you really broke it down nicely. Like I still have those notes and can easily refer to that awesome. if I needed. Um, you know, when we, I think the first tech audit I did, it was myself and Annie Serson. We were doing mm -hmm. one and we're like, okay, we're going to do this in a room together because there's no <laughs> way we're going to be able to do this on our own. So it's we awesome. did sit in a room together and like, you know, if there were sessions that she had missed that I was there and vice versa, we could bounce things off each other. And we really just kept a format and worked in it section by section. Um, and then sent it for feedback. And we actually didn't get as much as we thought because we had really put our heads together. So making it collaborative and working with another person was super important. Um, and then just, you know, practicing, like it's one thing to say like, this is a robots file and you should do this with it. But it's another thing to really explain what that is. So I think just practicing, um, you know, I know there's only so many hours in the day, but when it's something you're not comfortable with, like I wasn't as comfortable with that, um, I would practice, I would do notes, I would, you know, really talk through, like if I had to explain this to like my aunt who's 80 years old, like what is this trying to break it down, um, that's helped a lot. And by no means is tech like my, you know, passion, but I can run through a tech audit to a client now with no problem. Um, because of that. There's still things where I'm like, ooh, I need to check on that. You know, I'll get back to you on how we really implementing implement it depending on the size of the site. But for the most part, I can do it pretty cohesively and, you know, share findings and I don't have to think as hard. Um, so. and, and there are, it's funny. Um, I feel like I'm, I still learn new things every day. And um, I, I just had a conversation with one of our other former colleagues um, last night and um, we talked about how it's some some people really get like frazzled if they don't know everything or they expect that their immediate superior is going to going to always know know the answer and sometimes that's just not the case and um, I think for everybody listening it is absolutely okay to not know everything it's it's almost impossible especially if you have a life outside of work it's almost impossible um, and even if you don't have a life and all you do is live and breathe SEO, it's still almost Im impossible to know everything. So like, don't take it personal if you don't know, <laughs> don't know everything. Um, and don't be afraid to Google things, right? Um, there's lots of good, that's the one great thing about this industry is there's so many people who are so willing to share that you don't know the answer. Chances are somebody else can help get you there. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. So knowing how to Google answers is a fundamental part of SEO. So right, right. <laughs> so let's talk about your, cause I want to, I want to get into your biggest successes and even probably more interestingly, your biggest failures. Um, biggest successes I'd say recently. So as you know, being in an agency, like it's really hard to implement things um, mm -hmm. just in general. <laughs> so it's hard to have like all these, you know, amazing million dollar case studies, but, um, you know, I'm on a, a CPG, so consumer packaged goods client, um, right now. Um, they are overall, I, I can't say who they are, but they're smaller than a Procter and Gamble, but some of their brands are very well known. Um, so if you saw them in market, you would know who they are, but you wouldn't really know, Oh, that's part of this 
odd sounding client. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a great client and I've had successes there because the brand teams just don't really know much about SEO. And so like even the little things make a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, we launched some metadata, just metadata, titles and meta descriptions, no on page, just cleaning that up. We saw a 36% lift in average rank in like three weeks with that. Yeah. Like that's a huge, and that's like a really basic fundamental SEO tactic. Um, Mm -hmm. So I know it's not this big mind blowing thing, but that's a success to me because it's a way to get your foot in the door to have some sort of quantifiable data to show a client like, Hey, this is just scratching the surface and then add in more work that way. So that was a big win um, from a fundamental standpoint, from a more advanced standpoint. So I am owning a lot of voice search um, research strategy. So I'm doing a lot with Google Home and testing on Alexa. I created this um, entire, my goal is eventually this will be built where we can, you know, have something a little more automated to do the testing. But right now it's just me talking to these robots and saying, you know, how do you do this? Where is this? Um, you know, what is this product? So that's been interesting. And there's a few others of us at, at Publicis Sapient that are also super involved in this as well. So I'm not taking sole credit. Um, but that's really evolved because clients are getting really in, more and more interested in that. And I think just being able to coherently explain it to a client quickly, like I can be brought in and talk about it. Um, it's cool to me because, you know, it's something very new. Um, and I don't know that I've always gotten the opportunities to like be on the cusp of this new technology and sort of be like a thought leader in our space. Um, so that's more of a personal success. Failures and regrets. Um, mm. There's one regret that I think you probably know what it is. Cause oh, we share, we share, we share the same one. <laughs> it's if a you very don't tell it, I'm going to. <laughs> It's a very unfortunate email that accidentally went to a client and Mm -hmm. uh, Jake and I were like, well, we should, do we pack up now or do we wait out the weekend? Everything ended up being fine, but that's the lesson in, uh, you know, watch me say an email, even if you're just joking and it's, you know, we all joke and gripe and yada, yada, but uh, yeah. Do you mind if I tell the story? You can tell the story. Won't tell the client. Um, essentially what had happened is we were working with a client for a long time and they could be, they were great, but they had some idiosyncrasies and and there were some challenges, um, that we joked about that sometimes irked us, rubbed us the, the wrong way. And this is all completely normal. It's just humans dealing with other, other humans. And, um, I would say, in agency world, it's not uncommon to band together and um, have these types of, I'm just going to say un- unflattering, not great conver- conversations um, on, on the side. Um, it's venting, you know. Venting, venting, that's a great way to put it, um, on the side. And um, we made the mistake of venting through email. And me, personally, um, I did this. I remember doing it. And I wish I could take it back, forgot, <laughs> responded to the client, forgot to remove the venting from the email and the client saw it. And I thought, honestly, I thought that, that in, in this was back and forth conversation between you and I, which was never supposed to be seen by anybody but us. 
And let me um, preface, it wasn't even really that bad. Well, I mean, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't it was like we still said. just like not F, the most professional. It wasn't like, yeah, it wasn't like we said, F you, we hate you, client, or yeah, you're yeah, such yeah. a giant whatever. Um, and it, it wasn't it wasn't bad in the grand scheme of things, but man, it did not it did not look good, and it didn't come at a great at a great time. And um, honestly, I've I've never felt more bad in my professional career than I did at that moment, and, and I knew it. I knew it within three seconds of hitting send. Like, oh crap! And there are times when I have like these panic moments um, with respect to emails these days to go back and make sure that. Um, if there's anything in there that is not flattering, sometimes I rewrite emails three times, almost obsessively. I go back and just double check. Um, and I honestly, now I don't even commit any, anything unflattering, even, even over Slack or anything like that. Anything that's not going to be something that I would say in person, I just keep it in my head. <laughs> yeah. It's it like, I, I'll, I'll stare at an email for like 20 minutes. I'm like, okay, yeah. who's on this? everything's good and it's the same. And my, my first question to our boss was, am I going to be fired? And I would have deserved it. I would have deserved it. Um, would have deserved it, but yeah, no. So we share that failure together. Are there any other failures that you don't share with me? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) that's, that's my favorite, but not favorite one. That was Um, not good. One funny, like, regret, uh, so you know, everybody has their, this has been really the only agency I've worked, well, I guess I can't say really the only agency, because the agency's had, like, five different names since I started, mm-hmm. so it's like I've been at four different places, but um, I, my first week, and mind you, I was supposed to be a copywriter, I wasn't supposed to be in SEO content, and my very first week, the client was on site. I had no idea really still what I was doing. Like I was just ramping up and they're like, Oh yeah, we have the client. We're meeting them. And we were introducing each, everyone was introducing themselves. You know, everyone had basically been on this client for like a year minimum at this point, except me. I was a week in, like still didn't know what my place in the world was. And they were like, Oh, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. And I was like, I'm Margie Stahl. Uh, This is my first week. And I'm like, I really like to write, so I'm really excited. And that was all I said. And it was like nothing relating to anything SEO related. And someone's like, yeah, so she's going to be doing our, you know, the press releases and we'll be handling that. And I, after it, I'm like, you sounded like such an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) I think of that every once in a while because I try to be mindful when like other new college hires are in, they're going to say some things that you're just like, Oh, sweetie, (laughs) you'll learn, but it makes me a little more tolerable of that because I've been in their shoes. Like, you you know, there's things that first year where you're like, yeah, like, why did I do that? What, Mm -hmm. what was I thinking? Why did I say that? Why did I, I don't know. It's very humbling. So, um, yeah. So before we move into the next section, I always, uh, like to allow people some time to speak about the people that have helped them grow and have helped mentor them. And obviously we've had the relationship. So don't, don't say me who has helped you from a mentorship standpoint, grow within your career. Um, doesn't even necessarily have to be SEO specific. Who has helped you? Yeah. I mean, 
Brian Dean, uh, Love Brian. a mentor of mine who you now get the pleasure of working with and jealous. Not the, not the SEO Brian Dean. It's our right. Brian Dean. Different. Yeah. Very different people. Yes. <laughs> very different. Just Google both of them and you'll, you'll see yes. immediately um, that they're different. Uh, Brian was our boss on the, the shared client we had. Yes. And I think, you know, not as much like necessarily the SEO skill he taught me, but the how to have the attitude of like, it's only marketing. We're not saving lives. There aren't people on an operating table that are going to die if we mess something up. It's the internet. We're mm -hmm. making money for large corporations. Like everything is okay. Like put your personal life first. That was one piece. Um, the just how to have fun at work and not take yourself too seriously portion. And that also translated in how well he deals with clients. I think he just makes clients feel very comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he tries to have a personal relationship. And I think that's part of it. I mean, in an agency, we're essentially client services, customer service people. Um, if you really think about it, like even if we're not dealing with clients on a day to day, like we're, we have to in some capacity, especially, you know, at the level we're at now. Um, I think just being able to be more personable and not, you know, you know, being professional, but not having to be so buttoned up where it's like your personality has to suffer. Um, another one, uh, Matt Saunders was probably yes. someone that was like instrumental in kind of getting me past that just like content and basic keyword research person to leading more strategy and like helping me get there. Um, and you know, I, as I mentioned before, like I always do think about the big picture and I always have, but I think he took it a step further with like how to look into the data from a big picture and really use data to understand how to do our job versus just going off of gut feeling and, you know, whatever's on search engine land that day. Um, <laughs> so he's another one. I mean, there's, you know, I mean, there's so many people yeah. just like talk, 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 but it's like, do you ever actually do this stuff? Like, that's a whole other topic. Um, yeah. So those two, I mean, you were instrumental in like me learning the technical side and bridging that gap and, you know, getting that more well-roundedness. So yeah. And then, you know, I'm working with some great people now. My career manager now, Sean Stallman is great. Yep. Um, he's another one with like really people first, you know, really tries to put the best interests of everybody um, at hand. Um, you know, Steve Pitts, even before he was, before he had left a year ago or so, you know, he was um, definitely had to evolve into that and, you know, really, really cared about the team. So to me, it's like, it's one thing to learn how to do the job. It's another thing to just show that you actually give a crap about your team members. And I think it shows, you know, when you're, you're, um, you're trying to make time and, you know, you're not always going to be the perfect person. You're not going to make everybody happy, but I think, you know, those people really taught me just how to have a, an open mind and open ear and just like really think through things. Yeah. And I, I agree. I like, uh, I like all of those names have, have great respect for all of them. Um, and what I'll say about um, first about Brian, Brian is, is so, so awesome that uh, I followed him to another job here at search discovery, <laughs> search discovery. <laughs> it's good enough for Brian. It's good enough for me. Um, but yeah, no, Brian was really, really um, good at bringing levity to the situation. And I like to, I, I like to talk about mental health in this industry because sometimes mental health can suffer um, because it's you know, sometimes you work a lot of hours sometimes it can get 
really stressful and he always brings the levity and he's the um i feel like it's like a brian phrase it's like we're not curing cancer right we're just doing marketing and when you can put it in that perspective it it has a way of making you feel like all right the current challenges aside things are going to be okay um and he's really great with clients and really uh, honestly when I feel like when I'm on site uh, with Brian there, no matter how intense the conversation could be, he always brings this calming sense to it. And part of that is the fact that he's sitting in, in, in whatever the meeting is, cracking jokes or cracking on himself or whatever the entire time. Um, so that makes it, makes it lighthearted. But then um, every once in a while, he'll let how smart he is come out from under the jokes. And um, he really just has a great way of, um, uh, and it's almost like a gut feel sort of thing. And I, I give people that are in kind of the client services end of things a lot of credit because like it's one thing for us as subject matter experts to sit on our side of the fence and make recommendations. Um, but dealing with a client is almost an art form, right? Mm -hmm. And in figuring out, and honestly, that's, the recommendations are the recommendations, but figuring out how you can work with the client to get them implemented. Um, it's psychology at its, at its best. Right. And Brian's sure. really, really good at that. And then the, the other three, um, I feel like there are so many, and not to say that these guys aren't, aren't well known, um, but they're not well known when you compare them to conference circuit SEOs, right? The people that are on the speaking circuit, um, and it's not that they've never spoken or anything like that, but um, there are so many SEOs out there that people will never know or, or that won't know that are just so great. And I would put those three um, right at the top of my list in terms of just being really, really good at their job um, and really, really instrumental in my own personal personal growth as well. So I have a ton of respect for all all three. So yeah, definitely. So let's move into segment number two. We're done with the long segment. Um, segment number two. Uh, so you got to make your bones. Uh, drop a knowledge bomb. Uh, not a literal one, but a figurative not knowledge bomb. Tell me something I didn't <laughs> um, So what's your level of expertise with uh, voice and how it's trending as far as it pertains to SEO? Honestly? I would say n novice. I, I feel like given that the, the, in, the rise of voice search is very current, I don't feel like I'm an expert by, by any stretch of the imagination. So drop some voice search knowledge on me. And really no one is because it keeps evolving. Like you said, it's so new. I mean, you have voice technology from your, you know, my TV is a fire stick powered. So it's like, Alexa, do this. I still don't even do a ton with it. You've got smart homes with refrigerators and washers and Roombas mm -hmm. that can talk to each other. Um, but the biggest thing for SEO, so I think one thing that I always get asked um, is about Alexa and Google Home. Alexa is a really hot one because Echoes and Alexa devices are the most adopted um, technology that people have in terms of market share in the home. Um, However, not the best tool when you think, when you want to connect an SEO strategy to it. Alexa is Amazon owned. Um, it's powered by Bing in some fashion. 
but it's really good for like if you do want to have a smart home I mean they opened up this was pretty recent when they opened up to basically third party so you know Alexa technologies are compatible with virtually any voice driven appliance uh, you know smart home device speaker what have you out there um, so they're really good for getting your home to do things. Um, they're really good for like the fun things, you know, you have kids. So if you have an Alexa and it's like, play this song or tell me a joke, you know, it has a lot of that. She knows a lot of that language and then tying it to your Amazon account. If you think of it from an SEO perspective, if you ask Alexa, Alexa, how do I get this stain out of my carpet? she's not going to know. She's like, I'm sorry, I don't know that. Or if a brand like Tide, for example, has built an Alexa skill, um, which a skill is something you can deploy in Alexa. It takes, you know, time and effort. You have to have someone develop this um, to answer some of those queries. You have to feed it the language and what you want it to answer based on questions yourself. Um, you know, in that sense, you can get those answers maybe. With Google Home, it is tied almost exclusively to your quick answers presence. Um, so from an SEO standpoint, when someone wants to do voice search and they say, well, Alexa, I steer them back to Google Home because of that. Um, you know, that's where you're gonna get the most bang for your buck if you're thinking about it from an SEO tactic. Um, so if you ask, you know, how do I get a stain out of my carpet, um, whatever that quick answer is, not necessarily one-to-one, -one, because as we know, the SERP changes based on the query, based on the location. Um, but I think when we did our re recent testing, it was around 80 to 90% of the queries um, that it returned matched what the quick answer was. So um, let me ask you this. Quick so quick answers, they're not always answers are based on questions, right? So does it do the same? Does it respond in the same way when I feel like answer boxes show in for some searches where there there isn't a question, it's just a query. Does it show the yeah. same way there or is it less? Oh yeah, pretty similar. It's pretty spot on. It, it's, you know, it's not a hundred percent accurate, but it will it will basically read whatever that says. Um, if it's just a list, it'll start reading off the list. Um, the one interesting thing is, so you know how you have the voice enabled in your, if you have a Google app, um, if you ask that a question and a paid result appears before the answer box, it'll just say, here's what I found it does. Um, Siri is, you know, in my opinion. Can you restate that, that answer? Sorry, we had, oh. we, this happened with Joanna last night. We had um, some internet issues and I can see your internet's going like red and yellow. I can edit it out. Okay. Um, so yeah, when you, when you have the quick answer box, um, if you think about it on mobile and if you ask your Google assistant on your phone, this query, whatever that may be, mm -hmm. and there is a paid result that appears before that quick answer or a shopping result, it won't actually read you a voice result, it will just say, here's what I found, which is similar to what Siri does. If you ask Siri voice search, it just, Siri is almost silly to me sometimes for like getting an answer. It's like, you're supposed to be hands-free and you're not actually telling me an answer. You're just giving me internet results, mm -hmm. um, which is funny. Um, if it 
but if you ask the same thing to a Google Assistant, like your actual Google Home, um, then it will read you the quick answer because it's not powered by, it's not bound by any paid listings or anything like that. So it's just telling you. Um, the other thing that's really crucial in voice for SEO is your site has to be secure. Um, it's even for like, really? and it's, I, in any of the research that we've done, we have not seen any non-secure sites appearing in a quick answer box and thus returning a voice result. So it's just another way you get a little bit of a ranking boost by having that secure site. Um, so throwing that out there. So, um, those are the, that's the big thing. I mean, I know that was a little bit long winded, but no, that's awesome. Um, that's great advice. You know, educating on the difference between Alexa and Google Home. I think there's a a knack to want to go toward Alexa, and that's great. But if you want to think of it as an SEO, Google is your better bet. Um, just like with anything right now. Um, that said, like Alexa enabled technology and Amazon is super valuable. And if your brand has a big Amazon presence, like definitely figure out how to use that to your advantage. Um, Cause you can really, you know, monetize that in a way. Yeah. I was on last night. Um, honestly, we were talking a lot about Amazon SEO and it's interesting how when people think of SEO, they think Google, but SEO and, and um, optimizing for things is starting to branch outside of Google into oh, totally. like big, massive players like your Amazons or your Walmarts or what are these big marketplaces. And honestly, there are now people whose entire career is just optimizing for Amazon specifically, um, which I find fascinating, just completely fascinating that somebody can have a job. I find it fascinating that I can have a job, but then to see how that's spawning into these brands that have gotten so big that somebody can have a job just focusing on optimizing their site. So they're like Google, except you can buy, and even Google, you can buy things, but they're, they're just like Google, almost like a competitor. So it's, it's, it's amazing. And people search, I mean, there's a little bit of a different nuance in how people search, but mm -hmm. people are using these things as search engines. I mean, Pinterest is another one. Like, yep. it's a social platform, but, like, for specific things like fashion and food, like, that's a search engine. People are going mm -hmm. on there to search for recipes or buy pets. my wife does. Google to um, to search for styles and things like that. So, you know, I always try to look at that too. And especially working with CPG clients that aren't selling their product on their site, they are selling on Amazon. It's like, you know, we want you to rank well and you, your sites are an awareness and education tool. Um, your conversions are going to come from those e-commerce sites. So let's figure out how to optimize that too. Absolutely. Um, so what tools are you using these days? What's in your tool belt? Um, so use Bright Edge. Um, so work with them uh, pretty closely. Um, you know, they're a great one in terms of the level of data that's in their keyword set um, with their data cube tool. I still get a lot of value of that. Um, I would say too, like, you know, there's Conductor, um, there's Search Metrics. All three of those are probably the big enterprise level players. They all essentially do the same thing. Um, I've just had a relationship with Bright Edge and, you know, it's, it's worked well for what we're accomplishing. So I'm still using that. Um, as far as other tools, I am really growing to love Ahrefs. I use that like for keyword research boy. now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, their keyword research cool, now, that, you know, you can't, you can't trust the Google Keyword Planner anymore, which is, it's been like that for a while, of course, but um, I like that you get 
some search volume data within Ahrefs and you can do more of a mass keyword research because with like the data cube tool, you can really only test in a few things. You can test URLs, but you can't like dump in a whole list and see what it, it outputs. So um, Ahrefs has been excellent for that. Um, and being able to tie that into, I think it's neat and it's not that expensive um, with like traffic estimates and mm -hmm. backlinks is, has been nice. Um, so those are probably my two faves at the moment. Yeah, no, I, um, so I, I, I can't remember if I've told this story or not. So I, um, you know, when, when we were at, um, when I was at publicist sapient Rosetta, whatever, um, uh, you know, there was a certain, there, they, there was the relationship with right edge and, and at that, at the time, it seems like it's changed. There was not a lot of ability to go outside of that no matter how much we we might have wanted to to utilize other or even test other enterprise level tools but when i um, when i left the company and i went to startups.co i finally got my opportunity to kind of dive fully into other tools and ahrefs was the one that i um really wanted to try out the most and i haven't been disappointed i've turned into a giant fanboy but when i really turned into a fanboy was way back um Four or five years ago, I had written this article on my site uh, about SEO tools and which tools that I liked the best. And I had, and at that time, Ahrefs, I think, was just starting to ascend. And the last time I had used them, they were very similar to Majestic and that they just focused on links and it wasn't much more beyond that. The interface wasn't much more beyond that. So like, Honestly, that was, that's what I said. And Tim Sulo, the head of marketing, reached out to me and said, hmm, I think you're going to find that Ahrefs is a little bit more than that. Here's a free, free six-month membership. Go crazy. Give it a go. Um, and I did. And when I got in there, I was like, oh, my God, they've completely revamped everything. And um, the interesting thing is um, the, their progression within the, within the industry has, they've gone from a link tool to a viable enterprise solution. And I'm reading Rand Fishkin, who was my first episode, because I got super lucky, um, reading his book, Lost in Founder. And he actually talks about, because everybody, when they think of, um, big players in SEO from a tooling standpoint, Moz also is one of the, especially four or five years ago one of the first, if not the first tool that came to mind. And I find it fascinating that of all the people that I've interviewed thus far, like not one person, maybe I'll have to go back and listen, but I don't think that a person has mentioned Moz among their upper echelon tools. And um, Rand actually talks and specifically calls out Ahrefs in his book, Lost and Founder, among kind of the tools that had began to Sur surpass them and that isn't to beat on Moz or, or anything like that but mm -hmm. it's just interesting how they came out of nowhere and then I have my fun personal uh, personal anecdote um, with respect to Tim Sulo and I don't know him personally but reaching out to me and saying yeah you're an idiot go try our tool <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's been updated and I tried it loved it and updated my 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 article and yeah no it's it's I love the tool as well yeah so. and I like Moz too uh I feel like that one's mm -hmm. just like everyone uses so yeah yeah it's not bad you know, it's not for, bad it's for not various things but, mm -hmm. but yeah like Moz local a lot um so somebody getting into the industry I feel like you've given a little bit of advice but if you had to like take some 
take them aside and give them one piece of advice, they're new to SEO, what would you say? You know, I would say, there's probably two that kind of go together. One, be a sponge. Um, there's a lot of information. So there's 200 some ranking factors. You're not expected to memorize that overnight. So mm -hmm. that's okay. Um, be a sponge and just be able to connect the dots. Um, so that's one piece. The other piece is just be humble and try to be easy to work with instead of a know-it-all. You know, I don't care if you're fresh out of college or you've been around the block for 20 years. You know, I've found that the people I've enjoyed working with the most are the people that are the ones that are easy to get along with. Um, we all have very different personalities. Every single mm -hmm. person I work with and different interests outside of work. And, you know, it's like, sometimes I'll think, man, like, would I be friends with any of my coworkers in high school? Like, would they like me? You know, like what would we have done? You know, it's just like funny to think about that. Right. Um, but I think just, they've just been easy to work with and being able to be approachable. And, you know, if you're new to SEO, um, you know, don't, don't be afraid to fail and don't be afraid to ask questions and don't feel like you need to know everything. As we mentioned before, you don't have to come in acting like you're the big man on campus or woman. Um, it's just not going to work. And that entitled elitist attitude is not going to get you far. You might think it will, but you know, it's really not. So, you know, be a good coworker, be a good teammate. Make your, make your um, teammates job easier. Exactly. Yeah. Yep make them like you. Um, all right. So time to get made into the page two podcast family. So what is a personal fact about you that most people don't know? Um, I have a few I could have went with, but I think I'm going to go with this one. So I actually have a half sibling that is okay. out there in the world that I have never met. Um, really? So I've been told by family members that it's a she, but then others say, no, it was a boy. My, my mother gave this person up for adoption um, mm. when they were born. So, um, so yeah, six years older than me. So there's someone out there. So, you know, in the back of my mind, I always think, oh, should I have like my Oprah moment and find <laughs> this person? So maybe someday, especially now that you can get a DNA test on the internet for like 50 bucks. Um, <laughs> so that's one. Um, the other one is that I, uh, in college on my half birthday, I, uh, sang with vanilla ice at a bar. Really? Yeah. Not, uh, go ninja, go ninja, go. Uh, no, I think it was like ice, ice baby. Like okay. his basic, he was there for some appearance. I look back on that and just laugh. I'm like, this is so stupid. <laughs> like, why did I do these things? Maybe you can go um, help him. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so that's my like big profound one is the sibling and then my funny one is uh vanilla ice cool um so you're familiar with the office right yes of course of course, of course. <laughs> so the uh the episode where ryan starts to fire they play a game called desert island movies mm -hmm. where you can get five movies you're stranded on a desert island you get five movies or and i'll 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 let you do shows too, to watch for the rest of your life. What are your five? 
Uh, Parks and Rec is not a movie. It's a TV show that spawned um, after The Office. The season, first season is bad. It's six episodes. Power through it. The rest of it, if you've never watched, is the funniest show. Like, I really like The Office. Parks and Rec is probably above The Office for me. They're Do you have a specific episode? Um, specific episode. So there's, I have like my top five. Um, number one is probably, the, it's called The Fight. Um, so there's this club entertainment or no it's the snake juice lounge or snake hole lounge that's this one snake hole lounge is there and tom haverford who is he's in sorry plays um you know on his side hustles he's always doing a side hustle and one of them is like promoting these things and so he's promoting this new liquor that's come out called snake juice and it basically tastes amazing but gets you completely blacked out so leslie and ann are in this huge fight um you know just a typical friend fight they're working their issues meanwhile all the other characters are drinking snake juice including ron swanson and just getting <laughs> obliterated oh, so so much is happening and like there's a scene where it's like just a montage of each character like coming in and you're seeing how drunk they are and i mean i cry tears every time i see that one <laughs> um i have a friend from grad school like on oh. his birthday i took a bottle of jack daniels and like took the label off and wrote snake juice on it and like was like here you go um so yeah, that one stands out. There's a few others that are amazing, but uh, I could watch it every week. Um, so that is the show, all seasons of that. Um, when I was in college, Katherine Heigl was making like 8 million movies. And so I've seen 27 Dresses and like The Ugly Truth 5 million times. Yeah. And sadly, like even though I've evolved as a person, I still like those movies. Gerard, <laughs> so Gerard I could- Butler. Yeah, really they're easy that. to watch. They're easy to watch. So I could definitely have that on a desert island. And, and then and then she was mean to everybody and now she can't get a movie. No, now she's in like cat litter commercials. It's crazy. Yeah. Jeez. Don't be I mean know. to people. Exactly. That goes back to my advice. <laughs> like be easy to work with and be nice. Or you're going to be in cat litter commercials for the rest yeah, of your life. That's, that's your, that's where you are. Um, so those two, let's see, five. Oh man. Um, if I had to grab a Disney movie in there, The Lion King. It's a big Lion King groovy mm-hmm. at the age of six and very excited for the live action version. Um, yeah. Very pumped. Great cast. Love all the choices. Um, so I will be w- watching that. So that would be my kids movie that's in there. And then final one. Well, you got two more. Oh, true, true. Yeah, um, skip on the so, five. You're on a desert island. Yeah. So I guess more serious movie. Um you know, Leo movies are always great. Um, Inception is one. It just Ooh, gets yeah. your mind going. Um, so I would I would add that into the arsenal. I like to have a well-rounded <laughs> experience. Yeah, um, you need it. And then lastly, oh man, uh, probably, I guess if I'm thinking just off the top of my head, Anchorman, Ron Burgundy. Oh yeah. Um, you know, a lot of classic one-liners that I think, I can't believe that movie came out in 2004 for one. Um, that's nuts to me. Um, it's like Elf. Yeah, yeah, Elf. exactly. I didn't, yeah. yeah. Had no idea it was that old until this year. And I was like, oh my God, all these like holiday movies are so old. Um, yeah, that, that would be one. I mean, there's classic one-liners that everyone still quotes from that, that, it, that just, you know exactly what someone's talking about when oh, they say it. That, so. that escalated Probably. quickly. <laughs> You know, uh, milk was a bad choice. You're going to be doing a lot of laughing. Okay, so what's on your music app right now? What do you listen to? 
Um, so we have a concentration flow that uh, my boyfriend created. Um, so I listen to that at work um, exclusively. Well, I shouldn't say exclusively. I listen to Spotify. So that um, I also find myself like diving back into like the hip hop songs from like the late 2000s. Oh, yeah. Sometimes the early 2000s. And I think, oh, my God, these were such jams. And that's funny because I feel old when I'm listening to, like, Post Malone and stuff that's out now. And I'm like, this stuff's crap. And I'm thinking, yeah. when I was listening to Ja Rule, I'm sure other people uh, You were, were so cool. Things. But the people 10 years older than you were like, that's no like, Tupac ew. or Biggie. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I, I definitely um, go down that path. I think I read a study that like after age 26, your taste in music sort of stagnates, like you like what you like, and you don't really have interest in evolving. And I'm starting to feel like that's true. There are some new things that I like. I secretly like Ariana Grande. Um, so <laughs> not so secret Gomez. Not so secret anymore. Bet cats out of the bag. Um, but I don't listen to them frequently. But when I do hear a song, I'm like, yeah, it's catchy. All right. Uh, so I don't know that didn't directly answer it because I'm a little all over place when I listen to music. Um, I listen to a lot of podcasts too, like when I'm doing long drives, like back to Sandusky or anything. So cool. Um, have some balance. Right. So last one, and it's super morbid. You're going to the electric chair. What is your last meal? Um. So I would have lobster, like a big lobster as an appetizer, followed by my three favorite combinations at Barrio, which is a local oh. taco place in Cleveland. Um, there's one, so my house, uh, I am in the Tremont neighborhood, and I am probably from the Barrio here. Um, the buzzer from the restaurant works in our house. So if there's a wait, we can come home and hang and then go back over when our table's ready. So um, that would be my main course. And then um, I would have a combination of Toff's ice cream. Um, it's a Sandusky local ice cream. Um, it really skewed my perception of ice cream sizes. Um, when I got to college at Ohio State, we had graders. At Toff's, if you order a small, it is the equivalent of like an extra large at graders or Mitchell's or anything like that. Um, so it really skewed my perception of ice cream sizes. Cause I got, I remember ordering a small at graders and being like, is this all I get for $4? <laughs> this is garbage. Yep. Um, specific flavor would be their, um, yellow cake batter. It's like yellow cake batter and chocolate mixed together. And it's amazing. So that would be dessert. Cool. So I can, I can attest Barrio, if you're ever in Cleveland, go there. It's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Um, so Margie, thank you for, um, thank you for joining us. Where can, uh, and it's gosh, it's like 10, 20 at night. So thank you for, ta for, for talking. Like we're having fun. Good right, no, we're, yeah, we're having fun. Um, where can people find you? Uh, so my handle is, uh, on Twitter is Margie three, two, four, uh, my nickname and my birth date. Cause Margie Stahl was taken when I got my Twitter account in 2009. Jeez. Um, I know. Well, it was funny because back to the journalism thing as a side note, I remember someone coming to our class and saying, how many of you know what Twitter was? And no one knew what it was. And he was like, you all need to go home tonight and make a Twitter account because in six months, 
this is going to blow up and this is going to start to be where everyone gets their news. And sure mm -hmm. enough, he was right. And yep. that's part of another part of why the journalism thing kind of took a different course. Um, so that's my Twitter handle. My Instagram is Margie Stahl, um, M-A-R-G-I-E Stahl, S-T-A-H-L. So my name, um, I was an er more of an early adopter with Instagram. So <laughs> I was able to get my name. Um, and then I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, yeah. All the, I have a dog blog too. Um, I'm in the middle of revamping that. It's diaryofadogmom.com. Um, I haven't really added any new content or redesigned it in quite some time, but that's a 2019 goal because um, my nice. dog is getting a little older. So I want to start recapturing some of our stories. So I, I've heard of mommy bloggers. I've never heard of doggy bloggers. So that's, that's new to me. They're, they're out there. Doggy Instagrams are a hot thing. I have not gone down that path. <laughs> um, but yeah, those, those are out there and uh, really fun, really fun to follow. Cool. Well, like I said before, thank you so much for, for coming on. Thank you for being willing to uh, come on an early and not well-established podcast. Uh, really appreciate it. No, thank you for having me. It's good to catch up with you. Thank you so much for listening to the Page 2 Podcast. If you like this podcast, you can listen and rate it on a number of platforms, including Anchor.fm, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Radio Public, Applecast, Stitcher, Breaker, CastBox, and more. If you wish to support the growth of this podcast, please visit my website at jacobstoops.com forward slash page 2 podcast or Anchor.fm forward slash page two podcast to make a donation would be greatly appreciated if you're an seo who would like to be interviewed i'd love to have you simply send me an email at jake.stoops at gmail.com and we'll absolutely set something up until next time happy optimizing